Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 213, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, Developing Cultural Touchstones for Immersive World Building, Kickstarting in 2019. Episode 221, The Joy of Honobono, presented by Rachel Schelke and Jacqueline Brick. Do sad things and happy things. Neat shit. This is not accessible game design. <laughs> it's Honobono. Yay! Am I emphasizing, like, am I putting the correct emphasis? Is it I, Honobono or Honobono? I always just pronounce it Honobono. I don't speak uh, Japanese. Yeah. I speak English and a little bit of French. Uh, there you go. But uh, Honobono, pastoral, heartwarming, etc. There were supposed to be four people in this panel, but then we just decided to distill it down into the awesome that is the two of us. Welcome to the Jackson Rage Power Hour. Hell yeah! <laughs> we're going to talk about cute shit! Yeah! Hi, right. Jason Pitt. That means you. <laughs> what? All right. To, for the appropriate opening, welcome to the jo- Joy of Honobono panel. Uh, I am Rach Shelke, and joining me today is... I am Jax Brick. Tell the audience a little bit about you, Jack. Will you start? Because uh, you introduced yourself first. So again, I'm Rach Shelke. I'm one of the hosts of Plus One Forward, a podcast powered by the Apocalypse. I'm going to go ahead and erase that while you're talking. <laughs> I've also done a little bit of game writing. I wrote a setting for the Sprawl November metric. I am also the author of the Raccoon character type for the uh, recent Golden Sky Stories Twilight Tales Kickstarter. I swear to God, that thing is real. Just had to come out in PDF form for some reason. Uh, but it is coming in the new uh, version of Colors of the Sky, which should be at some point this fall. It's okay. I'm like, yeah. I feel like I should draw a flower and shit. If you want. Flowers and shit, man. I, I like drawing things on whiteboards during panels. Um, so I'm Jax Brick. Um, I actually usually write horror games, <laughs> but I found that I sort of have this wonderful ability to jump between extremes. I usually either like super horror games or super honobono games, and there's very little in between because both of them have major community building mechanics, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah, and I, I find both of them like really fascinating from just like the emotional spaces and yeah. the narrative spaces. Yeah, um, and in my day gaming job, I guess, because I also have a day job, but um, I freelance for Onyx Pass and White Wolf. If you saw the Vampire 5th Edition uh, PDF, I wrote the safety rules for that. Um, I also freelance for Helmgast AB, Ulysses West, I think? U- Ulysses, whichever one put out the second edition of um, Fading Suns, um, and a bunch of other companies as well. So. Fabulous! So, what is Honobono, however you put the emphasis on there? Um, so we're talking about games that make you feel good, heartwarming, uh, games I've heard pastoral games, although that term has fallen a little bit out of fashion. Yeah, I usually use Studio Ghibli games, 
because it it gives you the sort of it evokes the, uh, the basically the exact image that you yeah. want. The warm fuzzy games. So, Jax, what's the appeal to you of Honobono, both as a designer and as a gamer? Oh wow. Okay. Um, so we uh, we touched on this very briefly when we were introducing ourselves. It's the emotional space that the game creates. I love the idea that a game just doesn't have to be killing a whole bunch of dudes, which is a phrase that shows up in our panel outline at least three times. <laughs> uh, but a game does not have to be killing a whole bunch of dudes. A game can have an outcome that isn't kill a dude, get his treasure, buy new things. And it's more, it's, it's more personal in the same way that horror is more personal. It's about you and your growth. And that is something that very much appeals to me. What about you, Rach? I am just fascinated by these games that make mental space, that allow us to sort of set some time aside, just not to indulge in escapism, but escapism in a positive sense. I think that's flavored a lot by my day job. You said you have a day job. My day job is I work in healthcare. I work in transplant. My patients die on a frequent basis just for the nature of working in transplant. I deal with a lot of hardcore things. I work in state government. So. <laughs> so, I mean, there is, there's nothing wrong with going home and being like, okay, I'm going to run Golden Sky Stories. We are going to be in this small town. The stakes are going to be fairly low. We're going to small say, er, solve small problems by not uh, presenting nonviolent solutions. Um. And, so. A game I'm actually playtesting this Metatopia is called Quilt of Shadows. And it is a game where you are playing peasants in a D&D-esque world where the sun is very slowly going out. And instead of being the big heroes who go off and try and fix the problem, you're just people trying to survive. And it's actually more of sort of a dark Honobono game. No, uh, there's, uh, I've definitely run, I was working on one last year mm -hmm. in terms of post-apocalyptic heartwarming. Yeah. There is a little known uh, setting for Golden Sky Stories called Engine Sky that every once in a while I like to trot out because I just wrote on the table and be like, guys, it's post-apocalyptic heartwarming. Oh my God, I need to read that. I, 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 I can just, hook you up. <laughs> please do, please hook me up. So something we wanted to talk about also is do any of you have any sort of heartwarming games that you know of? Or maybe even like a game that isn't necessarily super heartwarming in itself, but somebody ran it for you in a really heartwarming or cutesy or really, I don't know, just community building way. Um, one of my favorite games that does this is called Formative. It's by mm -hmm. a game designer named Amy Weston. And it's a story about like queer found families um, and a world where your body is transforming, um, you know, maybe with or without your consent. Um, and it's uh, a series of like card-based prompt scenes okay. that doesn't have a sort of like rising action, climax, falling action model. It's just like, here is the scene. It is you doing your life, what's happening. Um, and it's very like heartwarming. It's about community and coming together. Um, and it like really gives me strength as a queer person to play it because it's that's like what it does. That's awesome. Yeah. In the back? Oh, we've been playing No Thank You Evil. Oh, No Thank You Evil. Yes. Super cute. Yeah. Mm hmm. All right. I played the really like uh, Doe Pilgrims in the Flying Temple. It's a great example. <laughs> Basically, you're responding to letters, help, and it's been inspired from Le Petit Prince, so mm -hmm. Little Prince. That's awesome. 
Um, I didn't get it. This was an RPG panel, but um, the board game Takedo, I think. Uh-huh. It's another a, a fantastic example. Yeah. No, it, like there's it really so many. Captures the feeling of going for a walk. Yeah, there are so many Honobono board games. So please feel free to like hang out because mostly we're just going to be talking about the genre as it goes across mediums. Mm-hmm. So don't worry. Don't worry. You're all so welcome here. We all want to feel good together. <laughs> yeah, that is what we're here to do. Feel good, damn it. <laughs> feel good. <laughs> Alright, uh, anybody else? Has anybody had a non-Honobono game that was maybe run in a Honobono way? Mm. I did that with Fiasco and Magic Girl Maho Shoujo playset. What? Tell us more. More and more and more. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Quiet year. Quiet year? Yes. Okay. We've been playing with kids. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. And so okay. they're loving it because they're drawing and they're building up the world and everything like that. That's awesome. Okay. Anybody else? It will tell you about a game that I played that was surprisingly honobono and also kind of distressing at the end, which is um, uh, Jay Williams's Tomb Priestesses of the Nameless Dead, <laughs> which is based off of uh, Tombs of Atuan. And it's a card LARP where, like as Michael does what I'm talking about, because he's been in my place, he's been in my tests of them. Sorry, they, I, my bad. Um, but it's sort of you are playing priestesses in a small community that doesn't really have contact with the outside world, and you are either, you know, plotting against each other, but in these really petty, snipey ways. Or you are dealing with the shades of the dead, but you're doing so respectfully and like it ceremoniously, or you're building each other up. So it's almost this very wistful, sort of almost sad Honobono, but in a way that's very community building. Yeah, when you had pitched that game, uh, Breakout, like I read the description, I'm like, I know exactly the emotional space this would go to for me, which would be like peaceful and very heartwarming, but also very upsetting in a way that would be pleasant. Yeah, bittersweet. bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, bittersweet, this does come up like a little bit uh, with feel-good pastoral games uh, because there is a little bit of that passing nostalgia. Yeah, and what what if. And, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, example of a game I've run in a Honobono sense is Monster Hearts. Oh, yeah. I To learn how to run Monster Hearts, I had to learn how to run Golden Sky Stories first is the way I would explain it because I figured out how to get people to start looking at their emotional center. And I went, okay, how do we do Monster Hearts like this? I read a great con game at Queen City Conquest, which didn't have a lot of the sex and violence that we associate with Monster Hearts, but a lot of yearning and searching and teenagers shattering their connections and then realizing, but I needed these connections. How do I reform this? And just the bittersweet happiness and also sadness. Um, It was, uh, for many of the players, their first Monster Hearts game, and we really had to take a moment just to sort of sit there and decompress and talk about those emotions and that emotional space we went to. Yeah. Um, So one of the things we're sort of talking about a lot here is how Honobono takes us to a more positive place, which is not to say that games in general don't take us to a positive place, but Honobono deliberately strives to take us to this place of peace and safety and warmth. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge rarity. I find a lot of games, and I love games that make me feel sad. Yeah, uh, I don't talk about that often, but 
there's sometimes I sit down and this, I want to feel sad in a controlled, safe environment. But feeling happy, this sort of sense of looking and creating joy at our table, even if it's like an artificial joy. Um, I mean, it's it's a positive space. It, it sounds a little bit strange uh, to participate in. Um, do you feel that positive spaces in gaming can be undervalued? <laughs> oh boy. As a LARP designer, one of the easiest things to do is called a waiting to die LARP, where you are in a box, you're like in a room, and everybody knows that they're doomed. Like sarcophagus yes. is a great example of this. And it's so easy to create that space, especially in current day, because everybody already sort of has that feeling of, oh god, we're gonna die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's so, so easy to induce sadness or rage in a human being because rage is actually physically addictive, right? Joy is not. And creating joy is different for a lot of people. Whereas, like, you can create sadness or rage by violating some, by, you know, violating someone's boundaries in a controlled environment and letting them know that that's going to happen. But creating joy is hard because everybody joy is triggered by different things for different people Mm -hmm. and so a lot of LARP designers myself included tend towards more horror or tragic LARPs just because it's so easy to induce the big feels but have you seen any progression towards making more joyful LARPs recently not really (laughs) Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off there, but like I actually have a cute lighthearted LARP for this con, which unfortunately is filled, but I'm running it on Sunday. It's called White Girl Wasted, and you are white people trying to find your spirit animal, and you wind, you get high, and you wind up in an astral minivan with two soccer parents, who are giving you advice as they drive you through the astral plane. And in, in the rules, it's very, very specific that the, the astral parent is never supposed to say anything deliberately negative. They are, they are there to help you. They are there to guide you. And if you sass them, they will be disappointed, but they're not going to get angry at you because that's not what they're there for. Of course, they're the astral parent. Yeah, they are, they're the astral parent. They are your white people spirit animal. And don't feel bad about cutting me off <laughs> it's and I guess the question is uh, because the political culture right now is intense and it's oppressive yeah. for me even submitting this panel was a challenge because it felt wrong uh, given what the current social climate. and political climate is yeah. how do we justify taking the time to make those positive spaces to run the happy game or design the happy game self-care is anti-fascist it's true <laughs> Like that, that is literally my thing is self and like I'm sure you'd agree with me yep. self care is anti-fascist you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of everyone else and that is actually a great way to buck the system because the system wants you ground down into a fine paste so you can't fuck. I'm sorry I'm a registered democrat and I'm a huge leftist go vote um but no, I totally get it. It was the the conclusion I came to submitting this panel. Yeah. So to get to that point was 
by making space for us to talk about finding joy and clawing back that emotional space yeah. from our oppressors was an act of rebellion. Yeah. Therefore, I had to submit this panel. And it's actually really interesting because there were supposed, like I said earlier, there were supposed to be four people on this panel, and we had two or three people drop before this panel just because they couldn't handle talking on this panel. Mm -hmm. Or they had to actually go do real-life stuff outside of Metatopia and couldn't make it. And that's sort of a meta, like, you know, thing of this message, is it's so hard to allow yourself to find that joy. It's so hard because it's putting your energy towards something that isn't actively, it doesn't feel like you're actively fighting the system, and so it feels almost guilty. No, it, it doesn't feel constructive. We yeah. spend a lot of focus about how do we make change, and we... It, that whole discussion about making space for self-care, I think uh, one of my partners is running a panel on Self-Care Sunday. If you need instructions and directions, just let me know. Um, but taking those moments and clawing back that space is difficult. Uh, for me, again, I work in transplant. I deal, I do, I'm Canadian, I work in socialized medicine, but I'm dealing with patients whose medications can cost in certain uh, situations up to 30K a year, or 30K a month, depending on what we're treating. Um, and just realizing that and realizing this is a guiding your patients through a toxic system and trying to help them find joy and hope uh, when everything is crushing them down. Oh, hard. Um, so emotional states and gameplay can be very personal. My route to my peaceful, joyful, emotional center is going to be very different from yours, Jax. Yep. And I don't know if... Advice is warranted, but how do you do it? I actually, I was actually going to ask you first. Ah. <laughs> it's different depending on the route and depending on the game. Well, I um, wanted to ask you, Rochelle, how you do it. How I do it. Well, that's yeah. why I said it's it's different right. depending on the route I need to get there, uh, which is going to be dependent on my mental state and depending on the game. Um, with uh, role-playing games in particular, I like looking at things that would give my characters joy and light and try to have that uh, feeling of, was it compersion, <laughs> where you feel happy for somebody else yeah, feeling compersion. happy? compersion. Mm -hmm. um, and learning to exist in that space, to sort of write in my head a narrative of what would make my character happy right now? What would bring them peace in this moment when the walls are closing in? Uh, and I'll even do that with games that aren't Honobono or Pastoral. Um, do that a lot for Urban Shadows and Apocalypse World. I have a stock character whose whole shtick is that. It's yeah. it's a little bit addictive, uh, but thinking about if I'm, again, in Golden Sky Stories, when I was writing the raccoon, I wanted to bring in more of an urban um, perspective because Golden Sky Stories is set in a small rural, town, yeah. small town Japan. And as a, I live in Toronto, raccoons are a thing. And everyone saw Raccoon Dog. I want to play the raccoon. And I was like, okay, I could write the raccoon. But what is the urban character in that feel-good game? What is that character about? It's not about being edgy or being street. It is a person who has different experiences, who knows they've had different experiences, and they really want to share because they really want to help out. Uh, just as a quick note, uh, who here knows what Golden Sky Stories is? Oh, wow, awesome. Okay, cool. For those of you who don't, a quick summary is you are playing uh, shape-shifting animal spirits who are handling very small problems, like maybe a boyfriend and a girlfriend got in a fight. 
or maybe a child is upset because they lost their favorite blanket or something like that. It's really low stakes stuff that you get experienced for. When I ran it at GauntletCon a couple of weekends ago and one of the situations, somebody was moving rocks to the wrong place. Yep. That was the problem they had to solve. <laughs> um, but how I sort of come to the joyful joyful place um, a lot of times is through music, which is weird because I'm not like a super huge music nerd or anything. But I find that especially something like the Stardew Valley soundtrack mm -hmm. or Gregorian chants or various things like that really bring me to this aesthetic place. And a lot of my a lot of my games and a lot of games I enjoy tend to be based more on aesthetic than on the rules themselves. So like if I feel I can aesthetically get to a place where I can feel like I'm embodying this very peaceful, very gentle, very giving character, then I feel like I've accomplished something. How do you project aesthetic in the abstract? <laughs> it's so difficult. Like being like I like I want to write this game that gives you this feeling is so difficult. And we uh, Jabari Weathers and I actually talked about this on a panel um, earlier today where we were talking about how mechanics are a language of their own. Yep. And if you are writing a game where your aesthetic is to be very, you know, simple and very joyful and very peaceful, you're not going to have a lot of mechanics or no mechanics about combat. You're just not. Because that totally disrupts what the game is about. It's like coming into a conversation where everybody's speaking French and you start speaking German, right? Like, it's going to be really jarring. Um, you want to have mechanics that sort of support that. Like with Golden Sky Stories, um, your relationships actually, if I remember correctly, constitute part of the XP that you get? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's limited. Uh, the big mechanic of that game is a mechanic called Dreams. Uh, dreams are a fan mail mechanic where you give them to other people at the player for other players at the table for doing something cute, helpful, or something that makes you laugh, something that makes you feel good. And what happens is this normalizes the tone of the table because everyone's rewarding each other for staying on theme and on yeah. tone. Mm -hmm. uh, when I when I run it, I have this big glowy box of plastic shirts and people just kind of throw them at each other. Not like literally at their <laughs> heads, but kind of toss them across the table. Um, I'm actually writing, um, it's, it's a long-term project, but one of the projects I'm working on is sort of a tabletop take on Stardew Valley because I'm obsessed with Stardew Valley. And there's a lot in the game that I want to be able to play that you actually can't play within the game itself. Because in the game itself, you're limited to playing a farmer, right? Um, but in my take, you can play a miner, you can play a, you can play the wizard, you can play all this other stuff. But your experience actually comes from filling out your relationship tracks. And once you get a certain amount of relationships, you can either um, ex uh, spend them on community advances or you can spend them on your own personal skills. So, I, I was sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was going to say relationships are a great thing to segue into. Oh yeah, definitely. I know. I know. We both have feels on relationships in these types of games. <laughs> Why don't you start? You seem really eager to go. <laughs> oh come, we're both really eager about this. Let's be clear. <laughs> like Rage and I are just sitting up here. Oh, yes, we get to talk about pastoral fantasy. Cute Let's stuff, do cute it. Stuff, cute stuff. Um, um, but yeah, yes. relationships. So important. So important. More so than any... I'm, uh, I'm going to make a sweeping statement here. I'm sorry. More so than literally any other subgenre of tabletop game. 
relationships are so important to Honobono because one of the easiest ways to give someone the soft, warm, squishy feels is to make them feel connected to someone else. Have NPCs who care about your players' plots or remember their players' plots. You know, have the other players rewarded for helping out with other players' plots. The entire, one of the biggest, one of the biggest sort of things behind Honobono is community building, right? So once you're building a system that has your back, it feels amazing. Like, it's so good. So how can we make both establishing relationships and exploring the evolution of relationships and play integral to the game? Um, actually, you know more about the Golden Sky Stories relationship mechanics than I do. Okay, so, so that's a great example. At Golden Sky Stories, your ability to make stat checks and to use magic are based on how you feel about other people and how other people feel about mm-hmm. you. What I do when I'm running it, and I don't know if this is in the rules or if this is just my spin and you can steal it, is I make everyone introduce your characters and I go to the cheat sheet and I say, I want you to reflect on knowing what you know about this character now. How do you feel about them? Uh, and there's always like, like is a great default, but you can always take risks. You could say, well, they're my rival. That's not negative. That means that you just want to, you have this connection where you have to impress them. You have to try to outdo them, mm. which means you're still pointed at each other, but it's not aggressive. They could be family. They mm. could be, as your relationship's intense, you could be in love with each other. And it doesn't necessarily mean romantic love. It can mean platonic love. And or even just like aesthetic love. Yeah. Because like, you look cool. I wish I was a bird and had those beautiful wings. And I love your style and how you handle this. Yeah. yeah. You wear the best clothes. <laughs> oh, I think. And <laughs> what I do in between scenes is I make space for the players to go, okay, we see how you tagged your relationships. How did they change? Did they change? And then people are like, you know what? I thought we were, I liked you, but I realize now after what we did in the last scene, I think we're family. Or I think I admire you and I need to like, I'm going to look up to you and follow your lead in the next few scenes. Uh, That means that the players are kind of like giving that feedback to each other and acknowledging saying, I saw what you did and I want to call it out and I want to talk about how awesome I feel about it. Um, one of the cool things about um, I had someone who run, ran Monster Hearts for me and each player could give out one XP at the end of the session Ooh. for like cool things other people did and I love doing this at the end of LARPs too during debrief which is saying something cool you did and something cool someone else did and mm-hmm. I love giving positive feedback like that because it, it helps people sort of step outside of themselves while also being able to receive positive attention um so another sort of relationship thing i'm gonna call out stardew valley again because it's a it's a very popular example of a whole novel no game and everyone including probably our board game friend back there hello board game friend is familiar with stardew valley um but in stardew valley in order to get certain uh recipes to get certain forage items uh hell even to like upgrade your tools you need to have a certain relationship with people because once you're closer to people, they will start, you know, providing you with things you need, which sort of, I guess, mirrors like relationships in the real world. Like the closer you are to people, the more they're sort of willing to give to you and the more you can give to them. Well, it's about trust and openness. Like exactly. I understand you. Let's do more together. Yeah. 
another example of this is, uh, I haven't written for it, but I'm a big fan of Ryotama, which is an attempt to do heartwarming kind of OSR, but more of a traditional fantasy. There is a GM, or there's a GM PC as part of the mechanics, and you can be the blue dragon, and you can set it up that everyone has points that if you make this other person at the table makes you have like an emotion to feel something that you give them a token and acknowledge it. I also like these mechanics to sort of like call out people because it means that they're the other players are focused on what other people are doing. Um, so we don't have that sort of shutting down and looking inward because I think pastoral games and feel good games struggle a bit if we go into sort of lonely play and solo play because it's not really the intent. It's about that interconnectedness. Yeah. What about romance? Oh man, I love some romance in my Honobono games. And Honobono games, uh, someone, I believe it was you, Sarah, who mentioned like feeling safe and feeling queer. Mm -hmm. Honobono games are a great place to explore queerness. So good. Okay. Bye, friend. <laughs> well, now I just feel weird. Don't feel weird. It's fine. But Honobono games are a great place to explore queerness because it is, again, about community building and about that interconnectedness and exploring alternate types of relationships from the heteronormativity of games that include relationships. Because a lot of times, like, D&D doesn't really have, like, a relationship mechanic, but every relationship I've been in in a D&D game has been het, right? But in more sort of honobono, heartwarming games, it's easier to sort of be like, well, clearly I have this affection for this person and it's not something I need to be ashamed of and it's not something that I feel need to feel guilty about because it's, you know, this beautiful, hopeful thing. Mm -hmm. And we can sort of let that blossom. And honobono is, a, like I said, honobono is a great space for queerness and relationships. So relationships in play tend to be present barriers for certain players. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what steps have you taken to make your players or uh, potential players feel more comfortable in terms of what you're designing and what you've brought to the table? I'm going to be honest with you. It's like a lot of the things I see in games are people like, oh, we'll just make it naturally happen with the story. And I'm like, why don't you just flat out tell your players, like, Here's how to, you know, negotiate at the table, and here's how to give consent to this kind of mm -hmm. relationship, and here's how to tap out if you're feeling uncomfortable. I write, like I said, I write safety rules for horror games. Writing safety rules for Honobono games is, weirdly enough, almost exactly the same. Because you are going to that vulnerable place, you are allowing yourself to be open and trusting at the table, and having rules for that is as important as having rules for allowing yourself to be vulnerable and small and fragile in a horror game, right? So being able to have this warm safety blanket around the players at your table while you're playing this heartwarming game is about as natural as, you know, wrapping a warm blanket around someone and giving them hot chocolate, right? So if I, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, I, I think it does. I think acknowledging safety tools and yeah. discussing safety tools and designing and the application of these games yeah. is very important. I When I was playtesting, I would run with safety tools and explain people do assume these tools are for cases of extreme sex, violence, etc. Yeah. It can literally be for anything. We're yeah. trying to make this space as open as possible to explore these thoughts and to let them naturally evolve, which I think is important too, um, is that 
not everyone is going to be on the same page at the beginning of play. Some players are going to need that space to warm up, to sort of test things out, to feel safe and go, okay, I want to pursue this thing. Uh, I saw this in playtesting with Golden Sky Stories again, because I did a lot of playtesting this summer, of uh, someone who really want to engage with the idea of having like this young puppy love relationship, but wasn't sure how the rest of the table was going to accept it. Um, and that was the, the limiting factor. And as that player realized over the course of play, it's cool, no one's going to judge you, this is very sweet, became a thing, it was very lovely. Everyone walked away from the table feeling really good about the story we told together. It's so easy to feel self-conscious mm-hmm. in a Bono game, which is why I bring up the safety tools, um, because when you're so used to playing games that are maybe dark or violent or gritty or otherwise realistic, <laughs> Uh, you, you you maybe think it's immature to have, you know, these happy feelings. And that's totally natural because the world we live in is like, you know, it's not realism unless there's shit everywhere and people are bleeding. I want to rip my glasses off and go, let me tell you about realism. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But, like, safety tools are not just for... This is something I have to keep telling people. Safety tools are not just for virtue signaling. They're not just for, you know, games that are safe already. They're not just for games that are written by people who are, you know, ideal, you know, ideologically perfect. Safety tools are for every game. They are for unsafe games. They are for games that have low stakes. They are there not to say something about the game, but to say something about the players. And it's so important for Honobono because it's such a different experience than what a lot of games are sort of targeted to. That to have, like Rach was saying, to have those safety tools to be able to allow people to explore at their own pace is really, really important. We talked about how these games are different than other games. And I believe you have mentioned, at least we mentioned in the notes, the idea of a mission-driven mindset to design. How would you push to move a game away from being mission-based to about being focused on that community and building those connections in the community. Oh boy, do I have an answer for this. I'm excited. Okay, so once upon a time I went to Breakout Con and I bought two different cyberpunk games, The Sprawl and The Veil. Both are very good, by the way. However, I cracked both of them and I'm like, oh, this is just a different method of being a Shadowrunner. I am so bored of playing Shadowrunners in cyberpunk games, Jesus Christ, please let me do anything else. <laughs> like, it, I have a whole rant about cyberpunk games that you'll, you'll hear on Sunday if you come to my panel Beyond Bright Lights, which I will be doing with one of Rage's partners. Um, come for hot takes. Oh yeah, I have, I have some spicy fucking takes on cyberpunk, let me tell you what. But one of the things I had was, I want to play play a freaking noodle vendor, right? I, I, I don't, don't want to play somebody who is outside of this society. I want to play someone who's part of this society. I want to play somebody who has to live in this society day to day because cyberpunk has billions of people in a very small location, right? And I love the aesthetic of the layer cake city with the bridges and the, the hover bikes and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a game for the Golden Cobras called Send Nudes, <laughs> and it's a noodle shop. 
and you are playing the service staff of the freaking noodle shop. That's what you're doing. And there are people who can come in and out who play the street samurai and the AI stuck in, a, in an itchy body and the creepy street doctor and whatever. And they come in and they make your life difficult. And you are playing support. You are playing the staff of this noodle shop that has to stick together and do the service work and just be part of this community. And it's the way I design this is the focus on the people who are the service staff is a lot more on their character. Whereas the people who are sort of the outsiders is a lot more on how they sort of affect the world. They're, they're less people and more stereotypes. Please say there's some mechanic involving salt and sticking together. What? No, it's a noodle joke. Oh, boo. You can steal it. It's no, free. I, I got it. It's cool. I got it. <laughs> finally. Oh, no, they, they all salty and they all sticking together. <laughs> Trust me on this. But, uh, no, um... But the service staff are all playing a single character throughout the game, unless they decide to step out for a smoke break and pay, play a, uh, an outsider character for a little bit. But the outsider characters can be thrown out of the noodle shop or can leave the noodle shop and then have to change character. So the focus is really on the service staff. That's so cool. Thank I want to play this. <laughs> I, just, I will run into breakout, I promise. Oh, well, maybe I'll have time to actually play things at breakout. When you were discussing this, I think talking about cyberpunk Honobono. I have so many feelings about that. Can we talk about rural Honobono versus any other setting? Are you into that? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> so, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about setting and what makes us feel happy and peaceful in setting. I struggled a lot personally at the gaming community. I don't have this warm, fuzzy feeling for fantasy. I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, which kind of looks like a post-apocalyptic wasteland in it places. It really does. It's it's a steel town. It's a big steel town in southern Ontario. So I get warm fuzzies by seeing smokestacks and factories. Uh-huh. It took me a long time to realize why I was able to kind of get warm feelies, warm fuzzy feelings while playing Apocalypse World more so than playing D and D. I put it together as an adult and I went, aha, so this is why I really feel good about that Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon where they were living in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Can it make sense now? If someone play, makes that game, I will happily write for it. Maybe I need to make it because that would give me feels that would warm me happy. Um, but a lot of the Honobono games are about rule or rule travel. Uh, Ryotama is, at least on the baseline, about that travel across rolling countryside. Golden Sky Stories is supposed to be set in a small town towards think, the end of the rail line. I think they actually specifically mentioned My Neighbor Totoro in Golden Sky Stories as, like, an influence. Yeah, and there's a uh, article in the core book that talks about the amount of fireflies guiding where your game is set versus, you know, in the city there's no more fireflies. You want to go to a place where there's lots of fireflies in the sky, which is a brilliant visual, yeah. mm-hmm. but doesn't reflect the joy and the peacefulness that we can get from other spaces. Yeah. Um, like, something that makes me feel really good is when I was little, my parents used to take me into Philly every weekend to go listen to um, the Philadelphia Orchestra play, like, movie music. Because they had a whole kids series where they'd play the symphonies from different movies. Or, like, one time they did a, um, a very, an abridged version of The Firebird, which is still one of my favorite <laughs> ballets to date. But 
this idea of a huge city being peaceful because you can feel yourself getting lost in the humanity and feeling yourself being a part of this city. It's actually weird because New York just gives me anxiety. <laughs> but Philly makes me really happy because it feels like home because there's all these twisting streets and different architecture and layers to things. And especially like when I'm talking about cyberpunk on Bono, I love the idea of the layer cake city, which I keep describing, which has like skywalks and like different levels of shops and homes and stuff like that. And I'm just so into that aesthetic because it makes me feel like it's the city is just one being, right? Like you're just parts of one whole. And it's something that you get in Honobono a lot is being part of a greater whole in a very positive and nurturing way. My holy grail in terms of game design, the thing I go back and try to think of how do I gamify this is, uh, this is gonna be a deep, deep cut, so take notes if you want to. There is a series of what are called slow television shows from the mid 80s called Night Ride, Night Walk, and Night Drive, which were made for a Canadian television station called Global. And the circumstance of how these got made is kind of complicated, we won't get into here. But to describe these shows, essentially they took a video camera and they would walk down parts of downtown Toronto at night. They would get on the subway and stand in the front subway car and film. Uh, they would go into hotels with these beautiful lights. Uh, I help. <sighs> I help work out. At, uh, I help organize the RPG track at Fan Expo, and there's a bit where they walk through the Metro Convention Center, and they go up and down these escalators, and there's these beautiful neon signs, <laughs> and these neon signs still exist. And I go and I stand by them every Fan Expo, and I'm like, I need to exist in this moment here with these signs. And then there's this soft jazz music playing over top. <laughs> there was also a time when I went to go see a local theater run uh, Michael Mann's Fief, but then they took this footage and they put Tangerine Dream music over top. Oh, Jesus. And I sat there in the theater with my other partner, Rob, and I'm like, Rob, Rob, I have to have this moment, this heartwarming, joyful moment. This might be one of the greatest moments of my life. I don't think I can function anymore. <laughs> it sounds like... I, I'm sorry to use this phrase. It sounds orgasmic. Like, it, it totally is. amazing. I am so into that. But it is totally um, big city pastoral. Um, oftentimes, these are very lonely drives like and lonely walks, and then you see people walk by. There's one shot where they're walking around Chinatown, and there's these two cops that kind of walk by, and they look at it. And it's, just, there's this, it's just so perfectly linked up with the music. It's like that's... That's the feeling I want to reflect in yeah. gaming, but I haven't quite unlocked how I want to get there. It, it, it's um, it's what I was talking about with like the whole aesthetic yes. thing is wanting to get into a moment and hold that moment and not let it go for the rest exactly. of the game. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think we are underserving the game design community by not addressing just the joy yeah. and the peacefulness we can find in the city and just kind of focusing that lens to the urban. I think we yeah. should be focusing it elsewhere. And not just in North American examples, but uh, I do put on videos in the background when I'm working and writing of just people walking around with video cameras elsewhere. There's a, I don't remember the name, there's a, I believe it's a man who does it for parts of Japan where there's just these hour-long clips where he'll be walking around like Akihara. And nice. Just just with a high-end, and th these are on YouTube. Um, I remember looking at one for Reykjavik before I went up on vacation there. It's just, yeah, oh, so good. Um, something actually I find sort of really helpful for Honobono is um, 
documentary series like Ugly Delicious or Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, where the narrator is engaging with sort of, I don't know, they, it's like street food or lower class food, but it's very homey and very, very central to where they are because it's always local food, right? Like, in Ugly Delicious, they go across the southern United States and try different kinds of tacos and talk about where different kinds of tacos come from and how actually Taco Bell got its recipe. Because interestingly enough, the recipe Taco Bell tacos come from is from a northern, a northern part of Mexico. Like, they, st they essentially stole it and um, commercialized it. Which is weird to me when people say, oh, Taco Bell isn't real Mexican. Like, no, there, there are actually Mexican tacos that are from this recipe. They're just made with fresher ingredients, right? Um, but sort of food shows especially because they're so, they reflect the joy, this just the simple joy of consuming food, right? And it's always, especially with, with uh, salt, fat, acid, heat, the narrator is going through local markets and they're both rural and urban. And, you know, seeing how different food is made and going through different processes, like, really shows that show you processes like how it's made is an, another great example of sort of that show sublime i know like that it sort of puts you in that space right um so yeah you can find basically honobono inspiration basically wherever makes you feel happy and peaceful that is totally valid honobono inspiration like another thing that really gets me is there's an osr heartbreaker uh that was published in the 90s called talislanta Okay. Are you familiar with it? I've seen you talk about it online. I explain. <laughs> uh, I obsess about Talislanta. Does anybody in here know what Talislanta is? Ah, uh, yay, thanks. Uh, so Talislanta is a D&D heartbreaker that was, I believe, first written in the late 80s, early 90s. It is D&D &D if it were based off of Robert Howard and Lewis Carroll instead of Tolkien. It has over a hundred races, each with their own different culture. And don't get me wrong, some of them are extremely problematic, so proceed with caution. But they all have their own culture, they all have their own way of relating to each other, and there is so much opportunity for Honobono in that game. Like, there's an entire race called the Muses that are just happy, human-sized fairies that are empaths that can, you know, if they're attacked, they can induce horrific visions in the people who are attacking them but normally what they do is like they hang out and they go swimming and they explore the woods and sometimes they go to big cities and have adventures like that's what they do and like there's snail people who live in this really muddy region and they they wait for travelers and they will carry travelers across the mud in exchange for stories Right? It's, it's all of this just little stuff that's in the game that's clearly not intended to be the focus of the game. But I just want to grab it and just hold it close to me because it's so good. So I'm just taking a look at time. Uh, uh, yeah, we have about 12 minutes left. So if anybody has any questions, unless you wanted to say something else. No, I was just, I wanted to open to audience questions, audience thoughts, talking about what gives you the warm feelies that now we've talked about. Please tell us what gives you the warm feelies. We love hearing shit like that. In the back? Uh, I have an interesting case study that I think will help us define terms a little bit better. I love the phrase urban pastoral. Um, 
and the idea of it doesn't have to be rural to be pastoral. Mm -hmm. And that made me think about what makes something pastoral mm -hmm. and what other media have I, have I seen. And I wonder if uh, the kind of TV show where people live in New York with really big apartments they should be able to <laughs> but money is not that much of an issue and they're dealing with kind of smaller yeah. is friends Hana Bono yeah. arguably probably unfortunately <laughs> that is probably my least favorite example of Hana Bono just because I think everybody in friends has unhealthy relationships but if it gives people joy sure it your Hana Bono does not have to be my Hana Bono and friends I'm kind of imagining a uh, non-violent case of cut of what? I'm sorry? Uh, case of QUD. Cues of quad? Okay. I'm not familiar with that. It's a roguelike, very randomized, pop-spot of the future with incredibly um, random, bizarre, and interesting okay. encounters. Okay. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah, I think the nonviolent component is important. It's very important. That's uh, so I think Rio Thomas struggles a little bit. I do love it, but it's got combat mechanics, and there's always that moment where people are like, "I reach for my sword," and I'm like, "Well, combat in this game is pretty lethal, so uh, let's do this." Yeah. <laughs> think of other solutions, please. Yeah. In the back. Yeah. So looking at Manhattan from Brooklyn, uh -huh. that that gives me that. Uh, but mm. um, you mentioned earlier about card lore. Okay. I don't know what that is. So card LARPs are actually a style that was popularized, I think, actually by Jason Morningstar because he's sort of been encouraging people yes. to do that. But essentially card LARPs are LARPs where the rules, the character sheets, and the prompts are all printed on cards for easy distribution. So you actually have pre-generated characters, but they're just vague enough that you can put your own spin onto them. And with Tomb Priestesses of the Nameless Dead, it's a scene-based LARP, so every time you switch, you end a scene, or you want to start a new scene or encounter, you pull a card from the deck, and that's what you're doing now. Yeah, there's uh, up at the uh, gym's booth, there's Juggernaut, which has, it's card-based because um, you're getting punch cards from a computer that may or may not be able to forecast the future. Yeah. So it ships as a stack of cards. All your little characters' name tags that they would wear or scientists as uh, government officials are all cards. It packs down in a really lovely card box and sits on the shelf and is very small. <laughs> yeah. Do you know of any of those that would work well with kids? Um, oh, uh, Tomb Priestesses could actually work with kids. You'd have to be very clear about boundaries, though. Um... Um, I, have to uh, I forget the exact name, but I think it's Strawberry something. Maybe Strawberry Dreams? Uh, it's Raspberry, uh, raspberry, raspberry Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. So Raspberry Heaven, yep. Raspberry Heaven uh, kind of can be run as a LARP where you're all playing. Uh, it's um, Slice of Life anime, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Slice of Life is like low stakes. It's usually a bunch of girls with each with a personality quirk hanging in high school doing high school girl things. And that's what Raspberry Heaven is. You have, like, the one girl who is the sporty one, the one girl who is the super nerd. Yeah. To be clear, I also use Honobono as a term for Slice of Life yeah. as well. They're kind of interchangeable. They if are. you're familiar with anime, uh, Slice of Life is not that different from Honobono. Yeah. Uh, yes. A game that I, well, a board game that I play that uh, mm -hmm. has that Slice of Life, but one of is Fog of Love, where you're going through the relate it's a two-player game 
you're going through the relationship between two characters, mm -hmm. and you can be hetero or you can be homosexual. You choose the gender of both sides, mm -hmm. and, and then you play, and you everyone has goals and all that. So okay, cool. Fog of love. I will. I will make a note of that. <laughs> Anybody have like any? Because we can also talk about like if. Just throw ideas at us, and we can talk about how to make them hold up on that as well. Go for it. So when you mentioned your like night drive, night walk videos, um, it, it reminded me of, um, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but like stim videos. Of or like, asthma. Yeah, yeah. ASMR. Yeah. Um, like, and I, I don't know that there is a way to do that in role-playing form, but like the sensory experience of watching glittery slime and yeah. smooth jazz, like how... <laughs> I think there's actually a way to do that. Um, I find that ritual, especially in role-playing games, is a great way to sort of get that sort of calming feeling. Like, like I mentioned earlier, listening to Gregorian chants mm -hmm. is something I found that brings me down from a panic attack pretty quickly because you can follow like the predictable rising and falling of the rhythm. Back like about a decade ago, I used, it's probably still running. There was a audio art project called Long Player that was essentially like the same musical bit done in like a different pitch with slight variances and it was supposed to play for a hundred years. It's probably still playing. Um, and it was very chill like that. Yeah. I wonder if you could get any influence playing those background music in one of these Probably. games. Probably. <laughs> like, for Tomb Priestesses, I usually play, like, binaural rhythms or, like, um, very, like, specifically brain hacking sort of stuff that's supposed to make you feel calm and sort of present. I listen to a lot of Vaporwave when I'm writing for Hanna <laughs> Oh, man. I could talk about Vaporwave forever, which is why you should come to my cyberpunk panel on Sunday. In the back? Are you Sometimes. Like, there, there's specifically, um, one of my favorite sites for this is um, uh, mynoise.net, which has specifically things like binaural rhythms and uh, white noise generators and brown noise generators and various wavelengths that actually tweak different parts of your brain to influence how people feel. Like, a lot of my LARPs I found I really like having auditory components I'm actually going to be running a horror LARP tomorrow night where you turn off the lights at a certain point in the LARP and you just start hearing weird noises in the dark. And that's most of what the LARP is. <laughs> Michael has played this LARP before. It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot <laughs> because, like, I literally freak myself out while playing this LARP because it's just a bunch of random noises in the dark after receiving a creepy text that I send you on the thing. But uh, sound can super influence your game. Two minutes? Yes! We're going to talk about happy things! Alright, so does anybody have... Actually, if you just want to start throwing ideas at us, we will make things on a bonnet for you. Totes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yes. Taking the last train home. Oh my, oh my god! god. <laughs> it's just, just the sad... Like, especially if you're by yourself... In that I, I live in Toronto. I have been on many trains and being stuck. And I used to go home from role playing. Used to go home for role playing Dresden Files RPG back in like 2011, and go on like one of the last subway trains across the city. No cell phone service. Nobody in the car with you. Just sort of reflecting on everything and kind of there's 
a, a sort of an interesting thought about this. So on the Bloor subway line, for the most part cutting across downtown, because we live in the Stone Age for some reason, there is no cell phone service for most providers. There is the viaduct where you cross the Don Valley between Castle Frank and Broadview Station, and you can get just enough signal to receive one message and to give one message out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a friend of mine actually wrote this LARP, which is set in the moment where before you talk to somebody who piques your interest. So the game is you are sitting across somebody across from somebody in the subway car who you are interested in and they're interested in you. But it's in the moment right before you talk to each other. So you can shift your body language or you can like keep looking at them or looking at your phone, the game ends as soon as you talk to each other. I I think it's still in the alpha stages, so I can't actually give you a name, but yeah. Have you heard of uh, We Know the Devil? Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's that's actually a really great example of a sad Honobono game. Tri uh, actually, tragic Honobono game, but it is still- I'm not familiar, tell me. <laughs> can you, you can probably give a better synopsis yeah. than I can. It's a visual novel. So it's actually presented as dialogues and trilogues between characters interactively. So um, actually a computer game context, mm -hmm. and you choose different dialogue options. What is particularly you normally do, this particular game, you often choose who is not part of the conversation. And you see what happens in their absence. Yeah, visual novels in particular stand out uh, in the English translation of Golden Sky Stories. Uh, there's a lot of talk of parts of uh, Higurashi, if you're familiar with, because uh, Higurashi people associate with being very violent, and it is sort of a discussion about the toxicity that occurs in small towns and how horrible and upsetting and oppressive it is to children who did nothing wrong. Yep. But it's also about a gaming group trying to find joy in this environment and not understanding the baggage they're all carrying. And those moments where it's like, okay, we're playing this card game and this deck of cards has been beaten up so many times that everyone that's experienced has memorized what the backs of the cards look like based off the dents and the bends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just that little sequence there yeah. is so good. <laughs> uh, by the way, yes, dating sims are honobono. Like, girl, she's a dating sim. I don't know if I'd call like no, no, I'm not, I'm not, a dating I'm sim. I'm not, I'm not saying Honobono. I'm not saying Higurashi is a dating <laughs> yeah. sim. But I, I'm just, I was just sort of thinking because we were talking about visual novels. Yeah, yeah. like stuff like uh, Dungeon Boyfriend or Oh God, um, Dream Daddy. Daddy. Yeah, the pigeon one, Hot Full Boyfriend. Oh, you had a full boyfriend. Hot, yes, that's. Yeah. And there's also Hot Full Boyfriend too. And there's the orc dating sim, <laughs> and yeah, dating sims are basically just kind of vulnerable no, in general. So we've been talking a lot about low stakes, but how would you create a compelling role-playing game with no stakes? Huh. I don't... I think... Okay, this is going to be interesting. Okay, so the interesting thing is um, people say... Uh, um, Miyazaki says that my neighbor Totoro has no conflict. I disagree with that. Yeah, it seems weird. <laughs> yeah, because my neighbor Totoro actually has conflict, no matter how small it is, because, like, the girls are moving to a new town, and that's a conflict, and their mom's in the hospital, and they can't see her, and that, you know, makes them sad. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, that whole chase scene at the end, which is, while it is resolved quickly, it's conflict. Yes. Right? It's a conflict of interest. 
And My Neighbor Totoro has conflict and it has a story, but a lot of people are like, oh, well, there's actually no conflict. And I think in Honobono games, I think there are stakes no matter how low they are. But, like, there's every interaction has stakes, no matter how small, no matter how inconsequential. Like, me talking to Rachel right now has stakes, even though Rachel and I are friends, and, you know, we're both presenting as um, experts on the subject. Maybe Rachel thinks I'm talking over her, or maybe after this panel, Rachel will hate me. I don't know. I won't hate you. Oh, okay. But thanks. I mean, like, if there's any interaction between players, I mean, that is some level of conflict or some level of stakes, even if it resolves cleanly because you have an interaction of two elements. Yeah. Um, so, I think you have a game with no stakes. Would be would that be a solo uh, RPG? There's still stakes in that, though. It, so- I think I have an example, if I may. Okay, okay go, go, for go it. ahead. Um, uh, Silent Conversation by um, Event Horizon is a game set within their Event Horizon universe, so it's this big, complicated sci-fi universe. Uh, there's this culture that has been exclusively uh, limited to just refugees of the culture, and they're trying to bring their own culture back by sharing each of their, like, because it's, of course, many subcultures, all of them coming together and sharing their own folk stories to each other. See, and there is the a like conflict of wanting to make sure that their histories and their identities continue on, but there's no expectation of failure. You expect that you will be listened to, that the message will get across, that everyone will care. So I think that's closest to no stakes is situations where you don't think that it's possible to fail. It's still important to everyone in the room, but... Yeah, I still I still think there's stakes in it, though, because there's always a chance, like, your story will not be as sort of impressive as somebody else's story. And even from a play perspective, like, I could see there being internal pressure and anxiety to perform. Yeah. So I think there'd be internalized conflict. It's man versus himself in yeah. terms of... No, but it's a, it's a good example. It's the closest. Yeah, it's it's a very close example, but I think Rich and I both agree that there aren't really any games. With no. Yeah, as soon as you start entering a you know multiple elements or unpredictability. When, yeah, because when you have no stakes, you have no agency. Ooh, good. I want to steal that one. Go for it. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Any other questions or thoughts on? Honobono. Sure. So, like, you were talking about um, videos of people, like, walking through cities and stuff. And I love videos of, uh, there was a whole bunch of great YouTube videos of just from trains. It's just, like, trains running through countryside. Oh. Yes. Or, like, snowy countryside. Or, like, old trains and stuff like that. But how do you do that in a game? How do you capture that? Well, that goes back to my how do I translate, like, this series of television yeah. overnight things from the 1980s. And I have done some thinking about that and I don't quite have the answer. In my head it's some kind of like random car generated mechanic like the beast but not the beast obviously. (laughs) (laughs) See for me I tend to do it with like I said like auditory elements so having sound generators uh, visual elements like dimming the lights or having the lights flicker you can do it with like like scenic elements especially if it's a LARP Um, just there are ways to do it that are very low cost and very, very high value. It's about having an experience. Yeah. 
It's about having an experience. It doesn't have to be in the... I mean, technically, at that point, if you're doing it every game as part of the game, it is a mechanic, and a lot of people overlook that. Like, if having a sound generator is part of your game and determines how your game will play, it's a mechanic. So, yeah. Anything else? Why stop at sound? You have the kinesthetic uh, element. Little vibrators underneath every chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just buy a bunch of Let me just buy a bunch of Hitachi magic wands and just <laughs> attach them under your chair at the highest setting. Real magic is our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the real vibrators were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> well, Actually, when we were play, t- uh-huh. I was getting the play test notes for the Twilight Tales release. There is a there were vibrators. No, so there was and there was a thread where it became about sentient. Okay, this is going to get slightly off color. There is I oh don't, no <laughs> no. So there is this this uh, character type which is a household object that has sentience. You okay. You okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. There is a, a household object that has sentience, that has a purpose in the home, so it is oh, in a room. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, so you can see where this is oh, going. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And I don't remember how it came up. I would totally play the dildo spirit in a Twilight Tales game. And it was, even and like one of the mechanics was like the dance of the blanks. So it's like you are not no! having, <laughs> you're not having the dance of the dildos. No, this is not happening at this table. Oh my god! No, I want to help. I, I want to make people feel happy. <laughs> I want to help my user find love. That's my You're good. <laughs> okay, so we're writing a sexy game. <laughs> yes. Well, we talked about relationships where you're paying, you know, sex toys talking about the joy of their experiences. And oh, God like- bless. That would be so sweet. It's my 200-word RPG candidate for next Hell year. yeah, let's do it. Woo! Please make it some sort of pet on Beauty and the Beast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> oh, my God. Be our guest. <laughs> Put our service to the test. I'm really sorry. I'm really so, so I'm gonna go work on Tuesday, and my coworkers are gonna be like, "You said you were having a talk. What were you having oh a talk?" About? <laughs> Hi, Jason. I hope this is quality content. <laughs> Please put our vibrator talk on your podcast, Jason. We love you. <laughs> Not that note. All right. I think I think that's a wonderful stopping point. So thank you all for engaging. Oh, sorry, my girlfriend just sent me hot pictures. (laughs) Jax, if people want cool stuff from you on the internet, oh well, you can find me on Drive Through RPG under the publishing title Jacqueline Brick. You can also find me as Ruffle Jax on Twitter. I make significantly less posts about sex toys on Twitter than I did in this talk. Rach, if people want to find you on the internet, where would they go? Uh, go use whatever service you are using to go grab podcasts and go look for Plus One Forward, where I do not talk about sex toys enough, despite the fact that intimacy moves are a thing we should see a whoop, lot whoop. empowered by the apocalypse. Whoop, whoop. Uh, I'm hopefully doing an episode on uh, intimacy moves eventually. moves eventually. You can also find me on Twitter at... Ted Dog, which is T-E-D-D-O-G, where I do not post pictures of sex toys <laughs> because that is public and I don't want to add or answer weird questions for my employees. Don't be lewd on Main, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Don't you, be lewd on Main. Yeah, yeah. Go, go be lewd on, like, locked Facebook posts. It's I fine. was actually going to say go be lewd on your other Twitter account. I don't have another Twitter <laughs> account. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, some people just make, like, horny... Uh, the, 
So there's a term on Twitter, which is horny on main. Yes. Don't be horny on main. Get, use your side Twitter account. I, I know some, oh my god, a friend of mine has a Twitter account called Smutastrophe, which is <laughs> my favorite sexy Twitter name. Amazing. Anyway, on that note, this has been our Hanamono panel. Yay! Thank you and good night. Hi, Jason. <laughs> We're thinking about you. <laughs>